God, help us to leave today with whatever it is we need. We trust that you're the God of all, not just some, and that you're able to help us to live out our faith in a way that makes sense for each of us and for our community. So meet us in this space. Regardless of what I say, speak to us. Remind us that we are loved and help us to leave transformed. In your name. And all of God's people said, amen. You know, when uh, Jesus walked the earth, he, he wasn't loved by everyone. I don't know if you knew this. It wasn't. Uh, he had a fairly large following at various times, uh, even crowds, but uh, made up of people from every walk of life. But there might have been just as many people or a similar number of people who didn't like him, and especially people with power and influence didn't like him. I mean, I don't know if you know how his story ends, but he does end up getting capital punishment, and that's not by happen chance. There were a lot of people who were not a fan of Jesus, and, and for a lot of reasons, too. They hated what he taught. Um, they hated what he believed about God. They really hated what he believed about himself. They're like, son of God, who are you to come across? Tell us you're, you know, who are you? Who do you think you are, Jesus? And, and they hated how he spent his time. He didn't do stuff normal rabbis did. And they really hated who he spent his time with. And, and that's really kind of the craziest part about what they hated about Jesus. They hated Jesus because of who Jesus loved. Almost ironic, I guess. Jesus, which makes Jesus was God in the flesh, we believe, and loved everyone, which makes sense because God uh, loves everyone. God is love. Scripture teaches us. So, of course, God loves everyone, and thus the God amongst us would do the same, love every single person. And you're probably thinking, love everybody? That doesn't sound so bad. You should try it. And not everyone's going to like you when you love everyone. Because when you actually do it, you might find yourself in a little bit of a trouble. And sadly, there's nothing. I'm going to meddle a little bit here this morning, some of my brothers in Christ might say. There's nothing that will get religious people up in arms more than when Christians decide to love everyone. Ooh, it really stresses them out. You know, it does. And this is certainly true for the time of Jesus. I mean, this is part of Jesus' narrative. There are a lot of examples. I want to talk about one today. We're going to talk about more in the coming weeks. Jesus, one example, Jesus, I know this is radical, okay? So just live with it. Jesus respected women. I know. Whew. Even women who, who either worked by selling their bodies or were discovered sleeping with someone they weren't married to, but just women in general in a society that had very little respect for women back then, not today. Jesus respected them as, as children of God, no matter what they had done, no matter what had been done to them. He loved them, he respected them, he empowered them to lead and to serve and change the world. And a world that looked down on women, Jesus lifted women up. And so on this day, our grand opening, we're going to kick it off a series entitled Love Like Jesus. We're going to talk about what it means to love like Jesus. And we're starting today with a story of Jesus loving people, a person specifically, that other people tended to look down on. It's a story of a woman who was caught sleeping with somebody that she wasn't married to. Whew. And in this culture, that was bad news. You read this story in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. But today, I'm going to uh, paraphrase for you the story. But I encourage you, you can read it on your own and see if I'm crazy. Uh, Jesus, he was teaching this group of disciples when they dragged a woman to her, to him. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if they actually dragged her, you know, literally across the, the dusty, dirty, cobblestone roads of Jerusalem, and she was battered and bleeding and threw her at his feet because she had been sleeping with somebody who wasn't married to him. We don't know if it was a big romantic affair. We're not told that if it was in you know, her line of work or if it was relationships or it was just casual or if it was spontaneous. We don't know. And you know what? It didn't matter because in this time of history in a hyper-religious society, In culture, it didn't matter which one of those it was. They were all detestable, looked down upon, and punishable under Hebrew law. So they they threw her down in the middle of this gathering. Jesus is there, and uh, they they, they say something like, "This, this unmarried woman was caught with a man, and the Bible tells us that she must be put to death. That's what they say, which is, that escalates quickly. You know, I mean, that's very serious. You know, and it's actually true. Passages in the Old Testament say that if a man and a woman have inappropriate relations, um, it's over for them. Here's one. It says it in multiple places. Leviticus 20, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. To be fair, it specifically says both the man and the woman would be held responsible. And in this story, the guy's nowhere to be seen. Um, he's not in the story. They didn't drag the guy to the feet of Jesus, and they would have known who it was. How else would they have known that she had been sleeping with somebody? I mean, this is only logical. So only is it a brutal Old Testament law, but they're not even applying it correctly, like fairly. You know what I mean? Like, it's already a hard law. They're like, wait, is that really what we're supposed to do? But they weren't even being fair about it as a hard law, which is pretty typical. So technically, though, it's still in the Bible. I mean, whether all the rules in the Old Testament are meant for all time and is maybe a matter of interpretation, not to mention the context and the wisdom to apply passages across cultures and the natural loving evolution of theology over time. But sure, at face value, at a glance, it's in the Bible. And I can imagine them saying that to Jesus. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. What do you say, Jesus? Should we put it to death? You see, the, the, you can almost see it, you know, the people, they're all gathered around and they're waiting for Jesus' reply. They're, they've probably gathered up some boulders and stones they're ready to throw at her, what they call stone, which is a brutal way to die. Literally taking large rocks, throwing at a person publicly until they become unconscious. This is a barbarian ancient way of publicly, publicly killing someone, okay? So Jesus is left with a problem. Does he show love and respect and forgiveness and grace to this woman? Does he get angry? Does he stand up for how this particular group was choosing to interpret and misuse the Bible? You know, so he pauses, which is, you know, an intense situation. It's good advice. He kneels down. And I love Jesus. He doodles, which is not the time, Jesus, but he you read the story. He doodles in the ground. He just kind of draws in the sand with his fingers. And I think he's trying to buy a little time. Pausing and reflecting is very good for de-escalating things. And he's faced with this life and death situation. How he responds could mean life and death for this woman. He could yell at, at the people, tell them that they're stupid and horrible and misread Scripture, but that might escalate the mob, and then she'd be gone for sure. He could ignore them and just kind of walk away, but that wouldn't work out. He could argue and reason with the mob and try to get them to understand logic, but who knows if they'll listen. He could agree with them. And then he'd have one less mob mad at him, probably help if he was going up for election at some point. So what does he do? They're taking a breath. He stands up. He addresses 
all the people gathered around holding their stones ready to cast judgment. And he says, John chapter 8, verse 7, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Woo. You hear that? Not the kids. The silence is in the room. That's what happens. Silence falls over the crowds. And he kneels back down. Once again, not the time, Jesus, but he's, he's doodling again. He's buying more time. He's kind of letting them think about what he said. And I wonder if you could almost hear the stones drop against the cobblestone roads as people walked away. And maybe, when no more drops could be heard, he looks up. The woman is left. Her tormentors are gone. And he looks at the woman. He says this, John chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, woman where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. To be clear, I don't think Jesus meant he refrained from condemning her only because they hadn't, like it was some sort of conditional, but rather that it was their condemnation that put her at most risk. She didn't need to worry about Jesus condemning her. He wasn't holding a stone ready to throw it. But those stones that they were holding were very real, and the people's judgment and hatred were the stuff of nightmares. And Jesus, in his cleverness, gets the mob to drop their judgment. And that was what was most important in that moment of her life. Here, you know what the best part of the story? Well, the best part of the story is that Jesus literally saved this woman's life. We talk about the salvation that comes from Jesus. Like We're talking about actually being delivered from pain and death. So Jesus actually saves this woman's life in that moment. That's the, you know, the best part of it. But the second best part of the story is that he didn't just not condemn her. He did it in such a way that he saved her from everyone else's condemnation as well, at least in that moment. He was leveling the playing field. He got the crowds to see that she was no better and no worse than anyone else, equal. She had no reason to be ashamed than any other person standing around her. I would suggest maybe less reason to be ashamed. That's my opinion. She was no less worthy of grace and forgiveness and love and second chances than any other person that was standing around her. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that's one way to love like Jesus. I mean, think about this story in preparation for today. And, and really just, I'm thinking about so many other stories uh, of Jesus loving people, and I've, I've been pondering what it means to love like Jesus, and it got me thinking, what if Jesus had been different in these stories? Uh, this isn't my notes, but we're big fans of Marvel, and uh, yeah, those were cool. And uh, my son was really into the What If series, which tells Marvel differently, like if what if something was... So I was like, what if Jesus wasn't loving? Like, how would these stories... How would the story be different? What wouldn't happen if, if Jesus had judged her, condemned her, instead of standing up for her, loving her? What would have happened if he had ignored her and walked away? What would have happened if he had agreed with her accusers? What would have happened if he didn't really care? And in all of those scenarios, I can only see one outcome. She'd be gone. They would have killed her. His response saved her life hands down. And I'd argue that if we love like Jesus, our response to those that the world loves to hate can play a part in saving their life as well. And I was thinking like, how do I bring this to like today? We're not out stoning people literally. 
We still do it metaphorically in a lot of ways, but not literally. How do I bring it to today? And I, you know, you're going to be like, oh, Job's got an agenda here this morning. Oh, no, this is just like literally the best example I can come up with. So stay with me. The power that we hold as humans, Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We hold the power of life and death in what we say, who we support, who we accept, who we stand up for, oftentimes the way the world tosses away. And we're not saying that, that if you love like Jesus is because that, you know, that's like a nice thing to do, like the old WWJD bracelets, like that's cute, or it's like super positive or sound. I mean, that might all be true. I'm saying that the love we share for those who are at risk of harm can actually change the trajectory of their life. It can save their life. Let me give you this example. The Trevor Project is an American nonprofit focused on suicide prevention among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth. Studies show that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people aged 10 to 24. That's just a fact. Second leading cause of death of young people. You can feel however you want about that. It's still true. And lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning youth, LGBTQ, are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. That's just a fact. You can feel however you want about it. It's not great. Four times as likely. LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to look at their life and say, no thanks. I don't want to do this anymore. Children created in God's image, loved by God, no longer want to continue enduring the pain of living. Children created in God's image, loved by God, begin to believe their only option to stop the pain is leaving it all behind. They can't handle the feelings of being so worthless and feeling as if they're a burden to the world and to society and they lose any reason to keep going. But here's an important part of the equation. Here's a quote from the Trevor Project based on their research, and it says this, LGBTQ youth are not inherently prone to suicide risk because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, but rather placed at higher risk because how they are mistreated and stigmatized in society. This includes jokes, slurs, being rejected by family members, and being excluded in places of worship, harassment by people of faith, Harassment, discrimination, and making people feel unwelcome and devalued as humans. Judging people. Do you hear what I'm saying? Judging people literally kills them. Just like it always has, going all the way back to the mob that stood around that woman. Going back all the way to the time of the beginning, Cain and Abel. Hatred and judgment and shame kills us. But here's, here's the thing. Encountering someone the world has discarded, meeting someone who's not sure about their life and accepting them and loving them and standing with them when everyone else walks away, loving them like Jesus, that can literally make all the difference. I learned a lot of this originally from our work with Love Boldly, a local nonprofit, and more recently from our dear friend Avery, who is a leader in our community and recently moved to Colorado because he's a jerk like that. And uh, he's watching online. I know he is. And... Uh, He's now, he got a job as a professor, and he's kind of a big shot. Um, but he, he teaches, and his research, his PhD, is in this topic. And, and as, as a trans man, he's very familiar with it. So I asked him, I, because this is the sermon illustration, I asked him if he'd share a little bit of why this matters. And he was very happy to do so. This is what he teaches. In part because he, you know, he, he actually really wanted to be here, and he was going to get a flight to come here. And then, like, it just didn't work out. And so now he gets to be here kind of, sort of, uh, in a different way. So let's hear what Avery has to say about this. Hey, City View Church. 
For those of you who don't know, my name is Avery and my pronouns are he and him. Like Joe said, LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. That translates to more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youth seriously consider suicide each year in the US and at least one attempts every 45 seconds. But the good news, which is hopefully not surprising at this point, is that LGBTQ youth living in communities that are accepting report much lower rates of attempting suicide than those who don't live in a community that's accepting. LGBTQ youth who felt high support from their family reported attempting suicide at less than half the rate of those who had low or moderate family support. Transgender and non-binary youth who report high gender identity acceptance from a variety of adults had significantly lower odds of attempting suicide in the past year. And just really quick, I'm gonna summarize these findings. So support from their parents is linked to 43% lower odds of suicide attempt. Support from other family members, 49% lower odds. From school professionals, 33% lower odds. And from healthcare professionals, 32% lower odds. And all of that is not even the power punch. What is, is that having just one accepting adult, just one, can reduce the risk of suicide attempt for these youth by 40%. Acceptance is a small ask. It's not the challenge of asking an entire crowd to drop their stones. Maybe it's just committing to never picking one up ourselves. As Jesus was the one for the woman Joe told us about, each one of us has the chance to be that accepting, loving one. Even in our world, maybe especially in our world, loving like Jesus can and does save lives. Thanks for letting me be a part of the celebration. Happy grand opening, City View. Fish and I send our love. <laughs> Have a great How perfect was that? I mean, he's so good. One accepting adult reduces the likelihood of youth wanting to take their life. I mean, he said it. it this loving like Jesus matters. John 3.16 says it like this, very popular verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Life. God came to bring life, not death. Don't miss that. But, but Jesus didn't stop there. The next verse, which sometimes isn't quoted, goes on and said, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it. So, newsflash, God probably didn't send you to do that either. It's not, what, it's not what God wants you to be doing. It's not even what Jesus was doing. It's not even why Jesus came. But it's in the Bible. Jesus, God made flesh according to Scripture, Word made flesh, shows us what it means to love. So, when we're faced with someone the world has decided isn't living the way everyone thinks they should, and the world has picked up their stones, and they're ready to hurt this person with their words, and discrimination and fears with their jokes and their exclusion, we have to ask ourselves, will we join in the world in their condemnation, or Will we love like Jesus? Let's pray. 
God, we come before you and we give you thanks. You've invited us to be people who are your hands and feet. You've made it clear through your great commission that you've sent us out to make disciples to be you in the world. We know that we are very imperfect versions of you, but we know that your Holy Spirit can come and meet us and help us to be loving and compassionate, patient and kind, and that you're able to work in and through us. So, God, we uh, surrender our lives to you and just invite you to use us as you see fit. Help us to be you and help us to love others like you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.